You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Yes, so I'm Edward, and it's great to see you all this morning. Um, so last weekend, uh, we were up in Edinburgh, and we were up there for Aidan and Maddie's wedding. It was a fantastic day. Anyone love weddings? Yeah, their weddings are great. We decided to stay on for a couple of days of the Edinburgh Fringe. Now, I studied drama, and I'd always wanted to go. It was a bit like a rite of passage. And so we were there for three days, and in that space of time, we managed to see, myself and Anugra, 13 shows. So we crammed a lot in. Um, But one of these shows was a show called Bromance, and uh, it was a show where there was three guys, and they were just like physically toned, similar to me, Um, and and, uh, they were acrobats. And so you know the kind of thing, there was this big guy, he'd be the one I was, um, he'd be on the base, and then someone else, one of his friends would do a handstand on his head with one hand. And you're like, how are you doing that? That's like a normal-sized guy, not like this tiny little girl. It's a man. And then they would do this thing where they'd throw him up in the air and catch him an inch from the floor. And I just found myself sitting on the edge of my seat going, how? How do they do it? Gasping. And as we left, we asked each other that question. How do they do it? How do they do such incredible things? Because we're kind of drawn to incredible things, aren't we? You know, when we see something we can't explain, it, it just draws us in. It's um, tantalizing. And uh, today's topic is, is miracles. Simply put, they are about God revealing himself in the supernatural. And when we look at the life of Jesus, his years on earth were full of supernatural manifestations of God. They're full of miracles. And as Christians, we're called to be like him. The word Christian means little Christ. And uh, when we look at the life of Jesus, we realize it's a high calling. Because when we read the Gospels, we see that his life was full of compassion for the poor. It was full of challenge to the proud. It was a message of hope to those who were lost. There's over 300 references to Jesus drawing a crowd um, in the New Testament. It says in Matthew 13, verses 1 to 3, The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him. So that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Crowds gather around people who are quite interesting, people who are doing something extraordinary. When we were walking the Royal Mile in Edinburgh, you see a crowd of people. You don't see what the street performer's doing, but the crowd draws you closer. Then once you can see what they're doing, if this person is just talking, I'm just going to walk away because they're just filling time. But if that person's doing something remarkable then they don't only have my attention, that person got my money as well. Not all of them, just a few of them. And um, because, you know, crowds draw us in. And Jesus drew crowds not just because of what he said, but because of what he did. So let's look at one of these miracles. Um, It will be up on the screen. It's John 2, water into wine. This is the first miracle of Jesus. And it's a bit of a bizarre one as well. We read... On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill these water jars with water. 
and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and he did not know where it came from. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. In my mind, he's quite a portly chap. Um, everyone serves the good wine first. And now when people drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. Now many of us would be familiar with this passage. Jesus is called upon by Mary, his mother, as their family is about to lose face. They're about to run out of wine at their wedding. You know, to call it a social faux pas would be an understatement. So Jesus, he does something Um, He takes something natural, he takes something in abundance, water in a jar, and he does something supernatural. And he doesn't do it to half measures. They say it's the best wine they've ever had. So when we think, when Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't want to do a shoddy job. Actually, Jesus does a complete work of salvation. And if we think that Jesus is just trying to get us past the mark then we're falling short of how great he is and how great his plan for our life is. So I just want to pick up the last passage here. It says, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. For me, this is a really clear kind of one, two, three on the purpose of miracles in the life of Jesus. It says, this is the first of his signs. John repeatedly uses the word sign when referring to a miracle of Jesus. But signs, they must point us somewhere. Otherwise, what's the point? Bill Johnson leads a church in uh, North California called Bethel. Uh, It's a great church, and he's written a book called When Heaven Invades Earth. I found it really helpful, and uh, I do quote a few times from it. And so Bill Johnson says on signs, signs, they have a purpose. They are not the end in themselves. They point to a greater reality. When we exit a building, we don't exit through the sign When we put out a fire, we don't put it out with the sign pointing to the hose. The sign is real, but it points to a reality greater than itself. Jesus points to the extravagance of God. He reveals the Father's heart. His intent is to redeem and restore all things back to himself, including us. So in this instant, Jesus turns water into wine. He provides out of nothing. In other occasions, it's the provision of food. From a few loaves, he feeds 5,000 people. We see a pattern of abundance. We see a pattern of a generous father who loves to pour out his blessings on our lives. And these miracles, they should point to God. They should give him glory. So Philip asks Jesus, after they've spent lots of time together, show me the father. Jesus kind of says quite tiredly, whoever has seen me has seen the father. The miracles of Jesus point to him. So are you asking to see God, but you're not looking where the signs are pointing? Are you not looking to the Father? Jesus pointed people to the Father through his miracles, and it's now our mandate to continue walking in his ways. And we can only do this full of the Spirit. So the second part then is manifestations. It says this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. Jesus, he wanted to reveal the kingdom of God to us. He talked about the kingdom an awful lot, but he also wanted to bring a manifestation of it. 
So when he sends out his disciples in Matthew 10, he sends them out saying, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. The kingdom means king's domain. The natural presence of the kingdom is the supernatural. God is a God of wonder. Everything you can see, he created out of nothing. Mike Pilavachi, who runs Soul Survivor, a big youth event that's happening at the moment, he says, we receive power not to play games in the church, but to glorify God. Jesus, again and again, gives us a little foretaste of what heaven will be like when we boldly demonstrate the kingdom and bring the reality of heaven to earth. So the last part then it says is, and his disciples believed in him. When Jesus was obedient to the Father and performed acts of great power, it forced people to make a decision. Following the water into wine, these kind of band of brothers, these disciples, they look at Jesus and they respond positively. When Jesus has fed the 5,000, the witnesses there who have stomachs are full from the bread, they say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. It's a positive response to miracles. People saw the power work through Jesus, and their response was, this is the one that we've been waiting for. They saw the extravagance of the Father, and they believed in the identity of the Son. But not everyone responds positively. Others respond by rejecting the the worker of the miracles, even though they accept the reality of them. So in another occasion, Jesus raises a man from the dead. He raises Lazarus from the dead but he's rejected by the religious leaders. They say in John 11, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs, and if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So demonstrations of the kingdom, miraculous signs, get people off the fence. When you see an act of God, you can't just sit there impartial. You have to respond. You have to accept it or reject it. What's your response going to be today? I found a great definition of uh, what a miracle is in the Life Application Bible. It describes it like this. Miracles are not merely superhuman events, but events that demonstrate God's power. Almost every miracle Jesus did was a renewal of a fallen creation, restoring sight, making the lame walk, even restoring life to the dead. St. Augustine said, miracles are not a contradiction to nature, They are only a contradiction to what we know of nature. When we call something supernatural, it's not saying it's otherworldly. It's saying it's a much further understanding of natural than we've ever had before. Because God made it all. We know from the lives of Jesus that the breaking in of the kingdom through signs and wonders was a common pattern. However, if you go back all the way before his first miracle in Cana, you see that he was baptised. He was baptized and full of the Spirit. You can read it in Matthew 3. And Jesus was enabled by the Spirit. He couldn't have performed all the healings, the raising of the dead, without being full of the Spirit. And it's the same for us. We'll only be effective in our mission if we're full of the Spirit. And Jesus also said these two things. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He also said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do. These are powerful promises 
from Jesus. The promise of the Spirit who will do greater works than those we see in the life of Jesus. We see the lame walk, we see the blind see, we see the, a dry wedding run with wine, we see the hungry fed, and we're told by Jesus, greater works than these we will do. <laughs> it's quite remarkable, really. And we could easily become quite trapped in what, we, what do we mean by greater? Do we mean multitude or do we mean magnitude? Are we just going to do more of the same thing or are we going to do them bigger? For me, I don't want to get caught in this trap. I just think what it says is God is abundant. <laughs> I think what it says is God wants us to ask and just draw down his promises from heaven. What it says to me is that God wants us to see the reality of heaven on earth, not just through lofty discussion, but through demonstrations, through signs and wonders that point people towards the cross of Christ, that point people to new life in Christ. So jumping ahead, just a brief period of time. After Jesus has done all his teachings, we know that Jesus goes to the cross. The religious leaders, they nail him to the cross. He died on that cross. But three days later, he rose again. He spent time, amen. I like a bit of amen. Three days later, he rose again. And then he spends 40 days with his friends. He spends days causing a stir. He, he, he spends days with his friends. And then he ascends into heaven. And then there's 10 days of kind of waiting. <laughs> And the early church, those disciples, they just kind of all kind of get together. And they're like, oh, right, okay. So there was a promise of the Spirit. When's it going to come? <laughs> and the day of the Passover comes. The Jerusalem is full of people from every nation. And the early church, they're there in this upper room overlooking the square, waiting to be clothed with the Spirit. And then the Spirit comes. In Acts 2, verses 1 to 4, we read, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This moment was almost like the starting bell at the beginning of a race. The early church was equipped by the Spirit of God. And they would become this kind of group of men and women who would change nations and change lives. From this moment, you then see a pattern of miraculous deeds being done through those people who were clothed with the Spirit, who heard the promise from God. And then they passed on this pattern to the other believers as well. They didn't hold it for themselves. They said to all those um, that they um, spoke to that this promise was for for them as well. In Acts 5 verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the apostles. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on the cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. At least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The early church were remarkable. They were like these just obedient, radical men and women who took the promises of God and wanted to see the reality of them. We're told that even the shadow of Peter, as he walked by, people would be healed. It's remarkable, isn't it? We're seeing greater things. And this has not stopped the last 2,000 years. Throughout church history, we've seen men and women who believed God for the miraculous to break through and reveal himself in this abundant display of goodness 
and then they see it in their lives. There was a guy called Smith Wigglesworth. Many of you may have heard of him. Um, He was born in 1859 in Bonnie, Yorkshire, and uh, for many decades he grew in faith as God moved. And there's there's one story I want to read from you. Uh, this is him. What a, what a chap he is. I'll take that for me. Um, a young boy was seriously ill. The family had sent for Smith, but when Smith arrived, the mother met him at the door saying, you're too late. There is nothing that can be done for him. Smith replied, God has never sent me anywhere too late. The boy's condition was so bad that if he were to be moved, his heart would stop and he would die. Needless to say, the family had no faith, and the boy was too sick to believe for himself. Before he could pray for the boy, Smith had to leave for a church um, engagement. But before he left their home, he told the family he would return. He then instructed them to lay out the boy's clothes, for the Lord was going to raise him up. When Smith returned, the family had not done what he had asked. And when they saw their faith, they were embarrassed and immediately set out the boy's clothes on his bed. Smith asked them only to put the socks on his feet. Then inside the boy's room, Smith closed the door and told the lifeless boy that something would happen different from anything he had experienced before. When I place my hands on you, the glory of the Lord will fill this place till I shall not be able to stand. I shall be helpless on the floor. The moment Smith fell to the floor, Suddenly, the boy began to yell, This is for your glory, Lord. Smith was still on the floor when the boy arose and dressed himself. Opening the the door, the boy yelled, Dad, God has healed me. I am healed. Such glory filled the house that the mother and the father fell to the floor also. His sister, get this, his sister, who had just been released from the mental asylum, her mind was restored. And we're told a revival started through the village and through the city. I mean, it's a remarkable story, and if you read the old stories of Smith Wigglesworth and others, you see that this is not a standalone. And what, what this particularly says to me is that the healing that started in the boy was not the end of God moving in that family. What that healing for the boy started was this kind of tap being turned on, where suddenly we saw broken minds restored and broken cities restored. Stories are good for us. A moment um, when I finish, there's going to be a chance for people to, if they've had God move through them, of share their testimony, share their story. So just be thinking as I share these couple of stories, is there something that God has done remarkable and miraculous in your life that's going to edify the church, that's going to build up the church, that's going to raise some faith in the church? Bill Johnson over in California tells this other story from a guy called Jason um, that's at their school. (laughs) I love this. He says, one student uh, named Jason was ordering a meal at a fast food restaurant. He was not content with sharing his faith with just those people behind the counter that he saw a car drive up to the drive-by window. And so he started sharing his faith with the three guys that were in the car window ordering their food. And then he saw, when he got his food, that the guys that went to park in the car park. So he thought, yeah, I'll go out and I'll go speak to those guys again about Jesus. (laughs) He renewed his conversation with them, and then he saw that the man in the back seat had a broken leg. So he did what all of us would do. He climbed in the car. He invited the Holy Spirit to come, and he came. The man began to curse. He had never experienced the holy fire of God on his leg before, 
they all jumped out of the car, and the guy with a leg brace on took it off and started jumping and going, I am healed. I don't know if he did this kind of Yorkshire dance. Um, He was completely healed. The three were so moved by God's goodness that they opened the trunk of their car, which was filled with narcotics. They took out all the drugs, put them on the floor, and just started jumping up and down on them because God had done not just a physical healing, but he had powerfully met with them. Jason then took them to the church, and they prayed and accepted the Lord into their life for the first time. And Bill Johnson just finishes with the words, this is the normal Christian life. How many of us want that to be the normal Christian life? Yeah. (laughs) I love the story. It starts with one person saying, I'm going to share my faith. And it comes with three people witnessing the miraculous work of God in their life and committing their life to him. What about in our church? You know, it's great 100 years ago. It's great California. What about in Ealing? Um, So I've never had a problem believing that God heals. I've never really had a problem believing that. I've never had a problem believing that God speaks. But recently, I've really just been asking God a little bit more, I suppose. (laughs) It just says ask, and God will speak. And um, so a couple of months ago, um, we were having our Alpha Saturday. And um, Alpha was great. You should come along. And I was praying with Anne at the end of the day. And she, um, she just wanted to know more of God in her life. We weren't praying particularly for anything. She just said, yeah, I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to know more of God. So um, it was me and Jared, we were praying with her, and then I was just asking God, I just said, Lord, do you want to say anything to her now? Do you, want to, do you want to reveal anything to me for me to pray for her? And then I became very aware of kind of a pain in my leg, um, a shooting pain in my leg. And I was like, okay, uh, this wasn't there. Uh, you know, I just became very aware of just my leg. And I was like, okay, does God, do you want to heal her leg? <laughs> But that's all I had. So I thought, right, let's just go with it. So I started saying to Anne, I, I believe you've got a pain in your leg that goes from the base of your foot up to your spine. But as I started speaking out in faith, God then started to reveal more to me. And he said, that that's sciatica. So I said to her, that's a sciatica, which is a nervous problem. And, uh, and it's a nerve pain that's shooting. And she said, yes. Yeah, it's a nervous pain that I've had for years. And it, and it means that she has to take medication. She's in pain every day. And I just told her that God revealed that to me. And I didn't know this. Um, because he wants to restore her, because he wants to heal her. So we simply prayed, and God did a remarkable thing, and the pain completely went. The next day at church, I didn't have to ask Anne if she was in any pain. She kind of strode up to me, confident, like that kind of swagger, just like maybe using a bit too much of the leg. No, not quite. And um, she just said how the pain, she had woken up for the first time, and there was no pain in her leg. She hadn't need to take any medication because there was nothing to medicate against. You know, when we ask God, he does remarkable things. God wants to move through us. Through this series, we are um, focusing on the Holy Spirit's role to empower us in our mission. I've said that Jesus was only enabled um, to do miracles and demonstrate the kingdom because he was full of the Spirit. But he also made that promise that it's for us, and we need to be full of the Spirit also. But what's our mission? If we think that our mission... Is simply to get people across the line of faith. It's a bit too small. Our mission is to make disciples of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Disciples who are full of the Spirit, who want to see the kingdom of God established in their lives and in their town and in our church. That's our mission. And I think we step out a lot in this church. I think we've got some very obedient people like Yvonne who, and others who just really want to step out and just be obedient with what God's putting in their lives.
But I really think that when Jesus promised greater things, he promised more than one or two people getting healed every now and then in our church. Like, I really think God's bigger than that. I really think God wants to reveal himself in a much more powerful way than we've seen yet. I'd really want it to be the case that if we had, and I know there's lots of people today visiting for the first time, they couldn't just be tickled by a preach and sing along with a couple of songs, that they've met with the power of God. That's what we long for. But we don't just long for it in our church when we're safely together in this kind of huddle in a room. When we look at the life of Jesus, he performed miracles out on the street where he was going to be mocked. He performed miracles out in front of the religious leaders who put him on the cross. It's risky. It takes courage. These miracles, they invade a lost and searching world with a powerful message. And we live in the good of what Jesus has promised. We're not proclaiming a new message. What I'm saying here is nothing new. (laughs) What I'm saying here is a, a message that Jesus has promised. I'm reminding us of what has been promised. I want to tell you something, the the greatest miracle, the biggest miracle that's available to each one of us is the act of salvation. We should look to Christ, and as the example of how to live, but we should realize that we only get to fully live through him. The greatest miracle that Jesus performed was not calming a storm or raising the dead, it was raising himself from the dead. It was the very act of beating death. The fact that we should be called friends of God, friends of the one who created all things, all the universe, and he holds it in the palm of his hand, that is the greatest miracle available to us. The author, Tim Stafford, he says, we are responsible to be open for signs of God's wondrous presence and to pray for them. We are responsible to praise God when we see miracles and to think about what message God has for us in them. We are equally responsible not to go pursuing signs and wonders as though they were the ultimate good that God intended. We are responsible not to demand miracles as proof that God is present. They are not the substance of the kingdom. They are the symptoms of the kingdom. The substance is Jesus, who suffered, who died and was buried and then was raised to life again. And in a few moments, we're all going to have a chance to respond. It might be that your response is that you're sitting there and that you could not call yourself a friend of God. You could not say that you've accepted that Jesus died for your wrongdoings and that he wants to be your friend today. (laughs) There'd be an opportunity for you to respond. It might be that you've never really been filled with the Spirit, that you don't know the power of the Spirit. And I would say that we're going to offer that invitation to you today. However, it may be that you've just got a bit of a thirst a bit like me, a bit of a thirst for more of the miraculous in your life, a bit of a thirst for more of the signs and wonders in your life. And I just want to finish on four quick points about how to develop a supernatural lifestyle. The first is really simple, read. It's always the case whenever I talk, I glean more from preparing than I could ever give in half an hour of speaking. So pick up your Bible, start there, read the Gospels again, and just look how remarkable those stories are. For those of us who grew up in the church, we we read them in Sunday school, and then we kind of forget about how great they are. Pick them up again, be astounded by them. Ask the Spirit to be speaking to you as you read those Gospels and building faith for what God might want to do through you. Read other books. Read about Smith Wigglesworth and other people with um, such faith. Read about their, um, you know, acts of miracles and bringing the kingdom into their life. 
Read about churches that are doing great things, churches like Bethel in California. You know, read about what God is doing through them and just ask God for more of that in your life. Um, The second point is other believers. Spend time with people of great faith. You know, spend time with men and women who you want to be like. (laughs) Spend time with people who are stepping out in signs and wonders, in faith for healing, and just try to pray alongside them. Just try to spend some time with them and let their faith kind of rub off on you. Um, There's a reason we invite people like Julian Adams. He was a guy who came to speak last September to come and speak because they've got an anointing that we want. And so we should try to spend time with people of great anointing because it, it rubs off on us. It builds faith in us. Also challenge one another. Sharpen one another. Give space for one another to step out and try, to step out and be obedient. When I'm hosting, which is what Mark and Melissa are doing, I'm, so often what I'm trying to do is simply create safe space. Create a space for people to meet with God and be obedient to what they're putting on, on their heart. So create space for one another in your life to step out in the miraculous. Bill Johnson says this, um, King David was known for killing Goliath in his youth. Yet there are at least four other giants killed in Scripture, all killed by men who follow David, the giant killer. If you want to kill giants, hang around a giant killer. It rubs off. What a great quote. <laughs> Third, then, pray. It's simple. Spend time talking with God. Spend time talking with him alone. Spend time praying to him with others. You know, it will transform what we know of God. And pray specifically. If we always pray in general terms, like, Lord, would you make yourself known to me, then we have no measurement against that. If I say, Lord, would you heal Anne of her sciatica in her left leg, and God does it, I'm thankful. (laughs) Anne is thankful because we have seen that God has moved. So pray specifically as well. But also pray these words. We're told by Jesus to pray, your kingdom come. Now, these are kind of the words that trip off the tongue. But when we understand what the kingdom is, that there's, there's, um, people, there's no sickness, there's no poverty, there's no people lost in the kingdom, then we realize that there's a powerful word to be praying. Lastly then, be obedient. Jesus was obedient to the Father. And sometimes it got a little bit weird. There's this one instance where, um, <laughs> where someone's blind. So what Jesus does, he spits in their eye and the person's healed. <laughs> Do we have to spit in someone's eye to make them healed of blindness? No, we don't. There's other accounts, four other accounts, where it doesn't happen like that. But sometimes when God's putting something on your heart, it might not make complete sense. For, for you, it might feel as if there's a thought that just wasn't there, but is it just my thought process? Um, you know, it's so easy to rationalize ourselves out of stepping out in obedience. Mike Pilavachi says, sometimes God answers our prayers when we get it a little wrong. Not theologically perfect or our motives are wrong. I would rather say it and get it wrong than always wonder as no one dies. <laughs> I've had so much failure in my life, so a little more doesn't matter. When God's speaking to me, it's not an audible voice. It's a clear impression. It's, a, it's, it's something that was, wasn't there and is now there and it just won't budge. But obedience, it requires courage. It requires faith. Nine times Jesus says, your faith has made me well, has made you well. It's a muscle that needs to be um, exercised. 
Miraculous signs and wonders, they come from an intimacy with God who formed us. And in this intimate relationship, we're allowed to ask for more. I find, God, I find myself asking God for, to reveal more in my life, to reveal more of who he is. Particularly in a worship setting, I'm just saying, God, who are, where are you moving? Is there someone that you want to meet with? Is there something that you want to do? If you want more of the miraculous, if you want more healing, if you want more words of knowledge in your life, then ask. You know, the old adage, if you don't ask, you don't get. So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to ask. We've got plenty of time to ask. So um, can I ask us to stand? The band are going to come up. The band are going to come up and they're going to um, play a song in a few moments. But before that, we're just going to have a time of just quiet. You can stay standing if you like. You don't have to stand. Uh, stay sitting. And we're going to ask. I gave um, three responses. It might be that you've never accepted Jesus into your life. In a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. You can ask God into your life. He so wants to. The second thing then, you might be asking God for the Holy Spirit, the helper that Jesus has promised. You can ask God in a moment. It might be that you want to ask God for more of the miraculous. It might be that you want to ask God for more faith with what he's putting on your heart. It might be that today you just want to ask God for something particular. So why don't you ask God now? Just say, God, is there something you want to say through me? Is there a person that you want to heal? Is there someone you want to meet with through revealing something to me? Just take a moment to ask.